Well, good morning. Well, my name is David. I'm the liturgist here, but uh, this morning it's my pleasure to deliver the message, as Pastor Peter alluded to earlier. Uh, it's even my greater pleasure to uh, introduce this new sermon series that we're starting for our Lent season. This sermon series called The Hands of Jesus. It's a sermon series where we're going to focus on specific moments and verses uh, that show us what Jesus does with his hands. Uh, because this is a very specific moment where the creator God of the entire universe is now incarnate in the flesh and is touching his creation. And we're going to look at what happens when God touches creation, what happens when God physically touches us. And this will be the sermon series that we're going to focus on through Lent. Uh, I'll get into it a little bit more in a moment, but I wanted to open by sharing an experience that kind of inspired what I'm going to talk about today and uh, ties in with why I think this is an important series. Uh, about three years ago, almost to the day, my wife and I uh, were in Rome, Italy. We uh, had the privilege of leading 15 high school students uh, to Italy on a tour of Italy. Uh, and uh, we went through all the major cities. We started in Venice. We went to Florence. We went to Assisi, different cities, and then, of course, ended up in Rome. Uh, and one of the, you know, when you go on these educational tours, they have all the major sites that you get to see. Uh, and one of which I knew was coming up was that we'd go to Vatican City and we would see the Sistine Chapel. Uh, and of course, get to look at Michelangelo's famous painting on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. And I was looking forward to seeing it mostly as one of those things you can kind of check off the list, a famous thing that you've seen. Uh, Whenever you see a picture of it in a book, you can say, yeah, I've been there. But I didn't necessarily, <laughs> that's what I was expecting. I think we've all seen landmarks where at times we could be underwhelmed, where we go, that's what it's really like. Uh, I guess that's cool. Uh, so that's what I had prepared myself for. Uh, and I was surprised when I got into the Sistine Chapel. They have everybody go in there. You get a little time period. You get to stand there, and then you look up at the ceiling. And I did have an emotional experience. Uh, part of which is once you're in there looking at it, you get it. You understand why the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel is a big deal. Uh, part, partly because the, you know, the artwork is beautiful. The figures are so alive. Uh, there's just this great scope of biblical stories all over the ceiling and on the walls. Uh, so you understand why Michelangelo is Michelangelo. Uh, but there was a specific moment I had that was the most impactful for me, uh, so, so much so that I remembered it three years later, and I was standing directly underneath probably the most famous part of the Sistine Chapel, which is uh, the creation of Adam. I think we have, do we have our picture of it? This is something everybody's probably seen in their life, this famous uh, painting. But my eyes were directed exactly at the point of the hands. I think we have a close-up. And you could see from the floor that distance between the fingers of God and the hand of man. 
And the emotional reaction I had to it was not necessarily the beauty of the painting, but that distance. And I realized when I was looking at it, for hundreds of years, people have been coming in looking at this painting. And for however many hundreds of years more, it'll be up there. And that distance will have never gotten closer. This distance between God and man seems permanent in that painting. And it was kind of an emotional reaction, kind of a sad reaction. And part of me said, well, I guess that's how it is, is that here down on earth, we're separated from God. And this is kind of an artistic way of portraying that separation. There's a lot of evidence for this in the Bible. When you look in the Old Testament, look in the book of Exodus, you see that when God comes down to earth, he's fire and lightning on the top of the mountain, on Mount Sinai. In fact, in fact, in the book of Exodus, God says, don't let anybody touch this mountain or they'll die. He says, I can't show you myself in my full self or you will die. There's later moments in the Old Testament where we have guys like Uzzah, who was carrying the Ark of the Covenant where God dwelled, and he touched it just to keep it from falling, and he died. And we have this message that it's dangerous to be close to God, that there has to be a distance between us and God. And so that seems like a reality until you realize it's not. It might have been true in the desert in Exodus. It might have been true with the Ark of the Covenant, but the reality for us is that distance was closed. That distance was closed by Jesus. When Jesus comes incarnate in the flesh, there is no longer any distance between man and God. Our relationship with God became a physical reality. All of a sudden, he dwelt with us. And so what we're going to look at in this sermon series is what happens when that distance is closed, when God touches his creation, when Jesus comes and touches us. What happens? The reason we were looking at it for Lent is that, number one, we see this life of Jesus, this physical life that we will celebrate at the ending of Lent and Easter when it's resurrected. But we see these characteristics of what Jesus' ministry is all about. What does he do when he touches people? Well, we see he heals people. We see he feeds them. We see he raises them from the dead he pulls them off the ground. He saves them. And eventually, for the culmination of Lent, when we come into Holy Week, we'll see how these hands that have been busy healing and feeding and touching will, on the night of the Last Supper, break the bread that invites us into eternal communion with him. But we'll also see on Good Friday how these hands we've been watching will be pierced and crucified but then, of course, on Easter, it's those pierced hands, now alive, which will serve as the proof of his resurrection and his triumph over death. So as we 
close in by looking at those hands, we see an intimate relationship between God and his creation. So this morning, I want to focus on a specific moment where we see Jesus doing something with his hands, where we see a specific moment of him closing that distance. A moment that I think serves as a powerful metaphor of how Jesus is closing the distance between the creator God and humanity. We're going to look specifically at a moment in the book of John, chapter 9. So this is John, chapter 9, starting in verse 1. And Jesus is now in his ministry. He's doing his work. And then it says this in John, chapter 9. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Well, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it's day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And after saying this, and this is our moment, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. Well, here's a moment of Jesus touching his creation in a couple different ways. He touches the ground, the earth, when he makes that mud. He touches a man when he heals his eyes. And there's two things I want to talk about. First of all, this is a wonderful moment of Jesus showing how the distance has been closed between the creator and the creation. Because this is a a wonderful, if you haven't seen it, a wonderful repetition, this moment of Jesus' hands, of an action from the original creation story. If we look back all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, and we see the creation of man, we read this in chapter chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. At the touch of God, we're given life all the way at the beginning. But when I read this story of Jesus mixing the mud and touching the man, all of a sudden I saw the Creator touching the dust of the ground and creating man. We have another image of God touching man, another image of God using the dust or the mud of the earth. Now it's mud with Jesus to give life and light. In Genesis, we see the breath of God breathing into the nostrils of man. In John, we see something even grittier with Jesus spitting into that dirt and making that mud and healing those eyes. You see, what we see Jesus doing is doing the work of the Creator. I like what uh, Tim Mackey, if you are familiar with the Bible Project, this wonderful podcast and video series, says about things like this. In one of his podcasts that is looking at whether or not Jesus ever said he was God, 
He talks about, well, look what Jesus is doing. He says, quote, Jesus starts walking around doing, I call it, Yahweh stuff. Yahweh being the name of the Old Testament God. He says stuff that's Yahweh's prerogative in the Hebrew scriptures, but Jesus does it. We see Jesus here doing the work of the creator God. And all of a sudden, that God who is fire and lightning, untouchable, is there bending down, getting his hands dirty, and touching humanity. Not only does this show us the closing of that distance between God and man, but it shows us what Jesus wants to do when he closes that distance, when he touches us. And it's clear he wants to heal us. He wants to give us light, give us sight. And we'll see how he'll do it. He is willing to descend down to our level to literally get his hands dirty in the mud and the spit in order to reach us. Many of us, when we think about Jesus touching us or being close to us, there's a part of us that recoils, that says, well, I can't show Jesus this part of me. This part is shameful. This part is dirty. Or this part is insignificant. God doesn't care. But when we see this moment where Jesus is getting his hands covered with mud, and if we have that question of, will God lower himself to deal with my problems, this story is a resounding yes. When we see Jesus literally dirtying his hands in order to heal a blind man begging on the side of the road. That's what God wants to do. One of my favorite Christian writers, Henry Nouwen, wrote this. This is about actually when Jesus washes his disciples' feet, another moment of Jesus touching humans. Nouwen wrote, The word became flesh so as to wash my tired feet. He touches me precisely where I touch the soil, where earth connects with my body that reaches out to heaven. It's a beautiful quote, this moment that us, so connected to the ground, seemingly so far and disconnected from heaven, this is precisely where Jesus touches us, cleanses us, and heals us. I think that it's a necessary thing to understand about our faith, that God is willing to close that distance, that God is willing to come close to us, to have an intimate relationship with us. It's a necessary message for our world because I believe that we live in a world that is plagued by distance, that's plagued by loneliness and isolation. A world that's crying out for touch, especially the touch of the love of God. I read while researching for this a recent Harvard study on loneliness and isolation, and it says that their study suggests that 36% of all Americans, but including 61% of young adults, and this is interesting, 51% of mothers with young children, all express that in their lives they feel, quote, serious loneliness. 
And they go on to say that, not surprisingly, loneliness appears to have increased substantially since the outbreak of the global pandemic. That this is a plague on our world is loneliness and the feeling of disconnection. And it seems to be widening in a lot of the areas of our culture as we see the future being dominated more by things like virtual reality, experiencing life by yourself while you go online to make your contact. In a world of social media where so many of us seem to have more robust relationships with people online, or seeing images of their lives in pictures, more so than we do in the flesh. And it brings up an important question, though. If we see a world that's plagued by loneliness, plagued by distance, and then we read these stories of Jesus in the flesh touching his creation, I think it's a relevant question to say, well, that was then. Jesus isn't walking on the streets right now. I can't go see him and have him touch me. How am I supposed to find God's touch in our current modern world? Well, this is something Jesus was aware of too. In that verse I read you, he said that as long as it's day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. We get this feeling like we're in the night when Jesus is no longer here with us. But in the 14th chapter of John, when he's talking to his disciples, having revealed to them that he'd be leaving them, he knows this is a concern. They say, how can you leave us? And he says this in a wonderfully comforting passage. In John chapter 14, verse 15, he says, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. That's the Holy Spirit. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. How do we find God's touch in our modern world? Well, one of the primary ways is through the experience of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus said, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm leaving you with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is something we can still experience today. Through prayer, through worship, the Spirit of God descends in close, intimate proximity to us and ministers to us and heals us. And there's one other avenue for the Holy Spirit, and that's, of course, through each other. Last year, or maybe it was two years ago, uh, it was two years ago, uh, my wife and I started a little book club. Uh, we uh, invited a couple of our friends from church. Uh, we uh, sat out at the courtyard at night 
in the freezing cold in a little circle, six feet separated from each other because this was at the height of the pandemic. And as the wind blew, we had a, one of those old restaurant-style uh, heaters just swaying uh, in between us as I prayed to God that it didn't fling over and kill somebody instantly. Uh, and we studied a book. We actually studied a book written by my dad uh, about contemplation, and a lot of it has to do with these feelings of experiences with the Holy Spirit. And I grew up in a church that focused a lot on this, where we had a lot of prayer and ministry time in the Spirit, and part of me was trying to bring this into this group, a lot of what I was growing up with. Uh, and I, uh, we started talking about, well, have you ever felt these kind of transcendent moments with the presence of God? And a lot of people said, no, I don't really know what you're talking about. Uh, and I, at first, I'm like, well, how do I facilitate this? How do I help this happen? Uh, and, and at first, uh, I wasn't seeing those types of things that I would see when I was growing up in my church. But then, a couple weeks into it, I looked around at the people in this circle talking to each other, and these are people that had been isolated due to the pandemic. I mean, we're talking early 2021. Everybody's still in masks. A lot of stuff is still closed. We had a lot of young people in our group. And they hadn't been out of their rooms talking to each other for months. And these are people that knew each other and loved each other. And through their conversation, I saw the Holy Spirit. I saw it circulating in the circle of people that that community, that the love from each person to another, that was the conduit of the Spirit. That closing of the distance between each of them was healing these people, was bringing them out of darkness and bringing them out of a feeling of distance from the world around them. And I realized that's what the Spirit wanted to do here. He wanted to come down and circulate through the loving intimacy of these people. The fact that our love for each other is a conduit for the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians, Paul tells the church, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And we see that that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do, have fellowship with us. That that distance was closed with Jesus and remains closed. We didn't go back to Mount Sinai and the fire and the thunder on the mountain. Jesus closed that distance for good. And I know that it often seems as though God is far away. And that that distance between his hand and ours seems impossible to cross. But I believe that we're, giving, we're given comforting assurance that the presence of the Holy Spirit that descends into our own hearts and that also circulates via the love of believers and community together has closed that distance for good. And even now, the love of God is here and Jesus is continually inviting us to make contact with him so that he can hold our lives in his hands and dwell with us. Will you pray with me? Lord, even as we now are a group 
of believers, that we are brothers and sisters in your family, people who have known each other, grown up with each other, people that are even here for the first time. We pray that this house be a house of your love where the Holy Spirit can take up residence and close that distance. And we pray for anyone here who feels that they are down close to the ground, tethered by their own shame, that you show that you're more than willing, more than happy to kneel down and touch them where they are, to bring them into the light, to heal them. We pray for your Holy Spirit now. In Jesus' name.